people walking in darkness have seen a great light. For the people living in the valley of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. What does it mean to behold, to see, to witness, to let something become a part of you? That's what it means to truly behold and fully see. It means to open yourself to a new experience, a new reality, a truth greater than your own limited perspective. We can see objects, a dog, a desk, a Bible, or we can behold them, see them in a way that borders on understanding their essence. When we look at the stars in the sky, we not only behold the beauty of the moment, but we begin to have an inkling of the glory, majesty, and wonder of the living God who placed the stars in the sky, yet numbers the hairs on our head. Well, hello, Heritage. Good morning. Happy New Year. So 2016 is at its end. What a year it's been, yeah? It's been an Olympic year, a presidential election year, a year of peace accords and new conflicts. Had a Michigan water scare. David Bowie passed away. Denver Broncos won the Super Bowl and Peyton Manning retired. And mercifully, the Chicago Bears season is coming to an end today. <laughs> but the Chicago Cubs did win the World Series. Fly the W. We had the viral video of the Chewbacca mom, the death of Muhammad Ali, the Pokemon Go rage. And at Heritage, we celebrated 358 salvations this past year. With over 100 of those coming just this past weekend at our Christmas Eve services. Pretty awesome, pretty awesome. It's been a year of surprises. Every year is. Every year we start with desires and hopes, aspirations and dreams, resolutions and goals. And some of them turn out and some of them don't. Some of you here today are reflecting fondly on a year filled with great memories Another you, others of you are so ready to say good riddance to 2016 and ready to move on to this year. Well, no matter where you find yourself here today, I'm glad you're here. Whether you're here at Rock Island, you're watching at Bettendorf or online, I'm excited to say I think God has something to say to you here today. If you've been with us over these past few weeks, or have watched online, you will have seen that we are in a series called Behold. We're learning how it is not to simply just see God as, as a person, but to behold and really understand who he is when we say that he is mighty God, the wonderful counselor, everlasting father, prince of peace. On Christmas Eve, we say that he is Emmanuel, God with us. We celebrated that fact with 12 Christmas Eve services across our network, 
And later this week, you'll actually be able to watch that entire service, music included, online at Heritage QC under the media tab, which is pretty cool. And uh, some of you who are really savvy on YouTube, you can go and actually find it there right now. But after Christmas Eve services, some of us go home and open presents, and some of us wait until Christmas Day. And, and just because I'm curious, how many people here are, are Christmas Eve present openers, meaning you open majority of your presents on Christmas Eve? Sinners. That's terrible. <laughs> Can't believe that. <laughs> and so the rest of us, Christmas Day, I'm a Christmas Day person myself. Yes, all right. Awesome. Well, as we saw in Sean's message to us on Christmas Day, it really doesn't matter because the wise men didn't bring the presents until way later anyway. So actually, both of us are kind of wrong. So, But Christmas is over, right? The day is gone and past. On Christmas Eve, we raise candles and we sing Silent Night. But the candles are done. The tree at my house is packed away and put back down in the basement. But that's mostly because it's one less thing for my one-year-old to get into. Many of us are going to or have had plans for a New Year's celebration today of some kind. But so our attention starts turning from a place of remembering and tradition to a posture of looking forward with expectancy. The decorations are or soon will be gone. Mix 96 is back to playing its standard music. <laughs> Instead of ooing and eyeing at the well-decorated houses, we start to wonder, so why do they still have all their lights on? <laughs> but the big question is, now what? My wife mentioned the other day that it, it seems like the collective mind of the internet is pretty happy that 2016 is done and that 2017 is upon us. What can this new year hold for, for you and for me that is, is different? And not just different, but extraordinary. What can we do that will make this year any different than the last that we just walked through? What if God wanted to do something new in this new year? He isn't constrained by time but he understands that time is a reality for us. So they, he allows there to be waypoints, moments where we can mark and see that God started something. See, because I believe that God is one of new, of, of fresh starts, of redemption. I believe that we can, through Christ, position ourselves to walk towards God-sized things. Now, don't, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Christmas. Being a worship pastor for a long time allows me to start listening to worship, worship, um, Christmas music around July every year. We need Christmas, right, to remind us that God is with us, that Jesus was given mortality in the manger. The danger is, however, we can literally and figuratively, figuratively put Jesus in that nativity scene in the manger on Christmas Day. And then over the next couple days, pack that scene away and move on. Jesus is the center, the reason for the season in our culture, and then we move off of that. But the reality is, see, Jesus came for a grander purpose. 
In John 18, 12, Jesus said that I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, Jesus came not only to be God with us and and live and die and take away our sins, he came to be light. The light of life. Now, this is a a very simple idea, but it has huge implications. We discussed it earlier, right down here. What light, what what goes on during light, during our children's message, allows us to, to see in the dark, find that which was lost, helps us feel safe. See, Jesus' grander purpose to be light always plays into our grander purpose. We were made for more than just to be born and live. Jesus has more for us than that. He has a grander purpose, a grander vision. So turn with me, if you would, or click in your device or your Bible to the book of Ephesians. Now this is a a New Testament letter, meaning it's written after the birth and death resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's written by Paul. This is a, a man who is called by Jesus personally to stop persecuting the church and then to help it grow. Paul travels then the known world at that time, planting churches, writing letters to these churches to help them along their way and has written a lot of our New Testament. So this is one of those letters written to the church in Ephesus. Now the city of Ephesus is a major capital of the Roman province of Asia, which basically today is modern day Turkey. You can think of it a little bit like the city of Chicago. It's a main hub of activity for businesses and cultures. It's kind of a gateway between the East and the West sitting right in the middle. It's not the main deal like Washington DC or Rome, but it has definite influence and connection. And many people, many cultures and religions all tend to get crammed in together as people go from one side of the known world to the other. And Paul used Ephesus as as a home base of sorts for his second leg of his missionary journey. And you can see it was perfectly located to give him short trips to other churches that you may be familiar with and that he wrote letters to, like Philippi and Corinth and Rome. In fact, the church at Ephesus was so strong that it created tension in the city with the local workers who supplied the pagan temples. There was one huge temple there to the false goddess of Diana that was basically a a modern wonder of the world at that time. And many people depended on making things for that temple for their livelihood. But because of the strength of the church, people were no longer visiting that and the other temples. Instead, were going to church to worship the one true God. You can read all about that in in Acts 19, but what an amazing example for us to see, a church having such an impact on the people and the culture, leading them instead of following it. So Paul writes this letter, as he says so many others, in two distinct parts. The first being a, a doctrinal statement. This is teaching people about who God is and how he interacts with us. It's the basis, it's the understanding in which he builds the rest of the letter upon. And then the second part of the letter deals with how we then as people interact with God and the world around us because of that understanding. 
Now, I encourage you at some point on your own to read the first part of Ephesians, but allow me to give you just a couple of the bullet points of that first chunk so that we have the context for the rest of our time here today. So in the book of Ephesians, the first thing that Paul lets us know is that God loves you. Right? It's clear, it's simple. It's the thing we all kind of say, yep, I get that. But you always have to understand, this is the basis for everything, that God loves you. He loves you so much that he wants or chooses you to have relationship and to know him. And then second, the Holy Spirit enables that relationship. That part of the Godhead connects us with with God so that we can have relationship with him. Third, is that we are saved by faith. We're not saved by anything that we do on our own. It is God stepping forward to us, the Holy Spirit wooing us towards him, and we respond to him through faith, and he saves us. And last, we join the body of Christ. So we do all of those things. We are saved by faith, and then we join into a spiritual family with gifts and talents and abilities. We all have unique place within that family, but we join together to walk towards Christ. And so to sum that up even more, really Paul is saying that we are loved and linked. Sound familiar? So we pick up in chapter 4, verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. And Gentiles is just a, a word for people who are spiritually unresolved, who don't understand who Christ is yet. And the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding. And remember that for a little bit later, the word darkened. In their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life that you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to be put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So basically, Paul is saying those who are spiritually unresolved, these Gentiles are having a hard time living life to the full, doing the things that they are supposed to do because they are unable to see the good things that God has for them. But he continues on and says, but there is hope for them, for us, for right now. We're encouraged not to simply just make a choice and change our life in three easy steps. No, Paul makes it a much bigger deal. He's telling us to put off your old self and to put on a new self created to be like God. But what does that really mean? What it means is this. The word for new here that Paul used doesn't mean something newer in time, like I need a new truck. And those of you who have seen my truck would understand and say amen. As I drive, more and more of it is left on the road, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) So it's not saying like I need a new truck or that I need a new shirt. It's way more. 
It means to being new, like having a different quality or nature. It means to shed your humanity, to take on a new form of humanity. To trade impurity for purity, greed for generosity, a hard heart towards God and others, for a heart soft towards him and others. It means to become something completely different. Really, that being made new is a new type of humanity. Now that's a New Year's resolution. Not just to change something, to make a simple choice, but to become something different. So we don't want to just save more money in the new year. We want to learn how to be more generous in this new year. We don't want to just stop cursing in the new year. We want to encourage our brothers and sisters with words that give life in the new year. We don't want to just lose weight in the new year. We want to honor our bodies with everything that we put into it. The food we eat, the media we engage in, the music we listen to. You following me? God desires for us to be a new kind of humanity. One that reflects him. One that is ready to chase the things of God. So scripture continues in chapter 5 with a therefore. Say therefore. Therefore. Which means because of all of the previous that I have talked about is true. That you are loved, you are saved by grace, that you are placed into relationship with a spiritual family. That you are not just a new shirt but a new person from the inside out. All of that is true. Therefore, imitate God. Therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Dear children. Most of you know that I have three boys. That's them right there. They're super cute. The one in the middle. Look at that, there's a little binky right there. He's awesome. They are my greatest imitators. They'll play a game where they copy my wife or I. As we say something, they say it right back to us, which, of course, we try to end about three seconds later because we can't take it anymore. But the thing is, they imitate us in ways that they don't always purposely do, simply because they are so close to us all the time. They pick up on things we do and the things we say and the way that we treat people. And I would love to say that all those learned behaviors from us are great, but it's not always the case. The way they talk, the, the phrases they use, the movies, the sports, or the music that they like, the way they show anger, the way they show love, is vastly influenced by what we as their parents do. See, because proximity equals influence. So adults that came with a child today, lean over to that child that you brought and uh, say, I'm sorry. Because <laughs> they're going to turn out a whole lot like you. <laughs> there are things that I do every day that I think, oh, my mom and dad do that. And if I didn't notice it, my wife sure does help me remember. <laughs> See, my, my parents are both great musicians, especially my dad, and so I thank him for that. 
My mom is wonderfully organized and a great critical thinker. And so I thank her for that. It's not so often that you have an organized musician. It tends to be an oxymoron most of the time. <laughs> but my proximity to my parents allowed that to be the case in my life. And Paul says that we, we as a new humanity, are to imitate Christ. We are to be in that same way, so close to him that the way that we live like him, it's not a choice. It's not a shirt that I choose to put on today or tomorrow. It's just who we are. So let's go back to the text. So imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. So live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an adulterer, worshiping the things of this world. And Paul continues on after that to list some more things that we should stay away from. But mainly it's an encouragement not to partner with people who do those things. And this is messy. We know that. How do we love people if we're not supposed to be with them, right? Jesus is with people and we're supposed to be imitating him. But Paul doesn't say to stay away from people who do these things. He just encourages us not to partner with them. And to partner means to, to join along with, to do what they are doing, right? You can be with people and show them a better way without joining in what they are doing, but rather be a great example of what true humanity can look like. This is not out of, out of pride or a knowledge that we think we have that they don't, but it's out of the journey that we have all been on. And Paul helps us remember this, starting in verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful for even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. So if we go back to that first line, for you were once in darkness. Paul is helping us remember where we were so we don't get caught up in our, our new life and become a holier-than-thou people that stays away from everyone else. See, because you, we, were once darkness. Not in darkness, not around darkness, but you were darkness. So I think sometimes we forget the state that God saved us from. Because here's the deal. If, if you were walking in darkness, you could probably find a light. You could find a flashlight, turn on a light switch, find a door, start a fire, do something to create light. But when you are the darkness, 
That's a different thing entirely. No matter what you do, you can't change the fact that you are darkness. And I know this seems a little extreme, but it's the truth. We can't fix ourselves. When we are the source of dark, there's nothing for us to do but to be changed from the inside out. We have to become something new. Remember back in chapter 4 when we were talking about putting on the new self. The words that Paul used there was that they were darkened in their understanding. See, it was simply more than them just walking in the dark. The minds were dark. And when we walk in the dark, or our minds are dark, we naturally have to slow down, right? We have to grope around. We can't see exactly where we're going. We can't see the obstacles or the pitfalls in our way. And a lot of times we can't even see the end of what we're trying to get to. And so it takes us a long time to get anywhere or do anything. But now we are a new humanity. With Christ, we are light. So let me say that again for us. We were darkness, but now we are light. Christ is in us and allowing us to be new. And then we can see, we can run, we can chase the things of God because we see the obstacles, we see the pitfalls, we see the things that are in our way because the light is there. We can see where God is leading us and we can chase it. Next month, next weekend actually, we're starting a new series called Bold Moves. We'll be looking at the Israelites' journey and how we can position ourselves individually and corporately to live boldly and experience God's best. It's going to be an exciting time of sharing vision for the church and the opportunities that God has placed in front of us. But the thing is, we can only see those in the light. And I know some of you may have not made that decision yet to allow God to be the light of your life, to enter your life. So maybe you're here and you're stirred by the idea that God wants to do something new in you. You want to let go of all of those old things, those bad desires, and you want to be a new creation. And you can make that decision today. Just follow the prayer on the back of your sermon note guide and then let us know on your connection card so that we can join you on your spiritual journey as a spiritual family. And so we go back to the text. We are children of light, so we are to live like it and find out what pleases the Lord. It tells us right here what that means. When we are living as children of light, a fruit is produced, goodness, righteousness, and truth. And when I first read this passage, I read that last line as, and go figure out what pleases the Lord. Give it a shot. Try. But that's not how it's written. It says, if you live the way that you're equipped to live as a child of light, then you will see, you will discover, you will experience what pleases God. You'll run right into it. You don't have to try. You don't have to search for it. You don't have to guess. When we live as we were made new to live, we will naturally see what pleases God things of goodness, of righteousness, of truth. When we understand and embrace the truth that we are light through Christ, then we will produce the fruit of goodness, righteousness, and truth. It won't be a choice, something we have to think through. It'll be our natural language. 
See, it's not, it won't be a question and if we should tell the truth or not. We will simply tell the truth. It's not a choice to see God moving and doing something and then to decide if we should follow or not. We will simply follow where God is leading. See, because this is a dark world that we live in today. Many are lost. Many are darkened in their understanding. And it's never our place to judge. That's reserved for God alone. But we do have a task. It's our role to shine light and expose what is in the darkness. When we have a friend who is struggling with his words towards others, we shine a light in love and speak truth. When we see a marriage that is struggling, we shine a light in love and step alongside of them. And the thing is, we can all get easily tricked into our own dark places. That's why we need each other to shine light into our lives with accountability and truth and love. And only then can we run and chase the things of God together. And that's what Paul means when he says, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. See, when we shine light on that which is dark, we allow it to be seen for what it really is. We're able to deal with it and allow God with goodness and righteousness and truth to redeem it. And then I love this last part, that everything that is illuminated becomes a light. See, God rescues the dark things in our life and allows them to become part of our story, part of our journey that we can then help others on who are dealing with those same things. It doesn't matter how bad or ugly or broken or nasty that thing is in your life. God can redeem it. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. It becomes a story of how God can redeem and rescue that was which that was thought to be forever lost to become a light in the darkness. And that is the beauty of the body of Christ. Many of us, the points of light coming together to make something that is bigger and brighter than we can be on our own, something that is God-sized and not only life-changing for us and you, but world-changing. So what? It's one simple question. Where can you be a light this year? See, we all will have resolutions, but this is the most important. How will this year look different in your proximity to God? Take a moment, reflect on where it is that you see darkness that needs to have light and love. How has God redeemed your story to shine a light for someone else? What has God done in you that has rescued from darkness and death to a place of light and life? And now he wants to use that light to shine a light into someone else's life. See, we, we all have resolutions. And some of them will have some impact. We may save a little money, we may lose a little weight. But if we really live this way, understanding who we are as children of God, as people of light, then we will speak and act 
with goodness and righteousness and truth. We will look back at this time next year and we'll say, wow. Because we individually, corporately, as a church, will be able to chase God at a speed that we have never been able to before as we live as children of light. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you first for saving us. We think back to how we were darkness and that our minds were darkened and that you rescued us. You truly are a mighty God, a wonderful counselor, everlasting father, a prince of peace, our Emmanuel. And Jesus, your light is what lives in us now and makes us a new people, a new humanity. The perfect example of what of humanity is supposed to be as we follow after you. Holy Spirit, continue to equip us and refine us and allow our lives to shine for all of the world to see. Give us eyes to see the darkness and love to step boldly into it to reveal that which you want to redeem. Bind us together, God, as the body of Christ to do your will so that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father forever and ever. Amen.